You're listening to ReachMD XM157 and Verismed's conference coverage of the 30th Annual San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, which is brought to you by the CBCE, leaders in oncology medical education. Your hosts are Dr. Mark Kana and Sue Berg, along with Verismed senior oncology reporter Sean Tate. You will hear insights on the latest in breast cancer research presented at the 30th Annual San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, which took place on December 13th through the 16th. Now for our Symposium Insights, let's join Dr. Mark Kana. A number of exciting research areas were discussed at the recent San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. Safety and efficacy studies of newer treatments were particularly important. Both investigational and recently approved agents were scrutinized. Upcoming drugs included the investigational compound HKI-272. This is a dual tyrosine kinase inhibitor. It's an oral agent and is an irreversible inhibitor of HER2 tyrosine kinase. A research team from the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute worked with Wyeth Pharmaceuticals on HKI-272 in a phase one trial over the past couple of years. They evaluated women with HER2-positive breast cancer who had previously been treated with the HER2-targeted drug trastuzumab. They observed excellent responses to the new drug. Now that the Phase 1 work is complete, Dr. Harold Burstein from Dana-Farber has joined the company-sponsored Phase 2 trial. The ongoing study includes women with advanced-stage breast cancer not curable with available therapy. One group of patients in the trial have had prior treatment with trastuzumab, while another group of patients have had no prior treatment with trastuzumab or any other HER2-targeted drug. Dr. Burstein reported preliminary data for 46 patients. Varus Med's senior oncology reporter, Sean Tape, spoke with him about the findings. I think what's exciting about the preliminary data that we're showing here at this meeting is that there are robust response rates in both cohorts of women. In the cohort of women who had refractory disease, refractory to trastuzumab, and most of these women had also received multiple lines of chemotherapy and extended courses of trastuzumab treatment, there was still a response rate on the order of 20 to 30 percent. And in the group of women who were getting treatment that were trastuzumab naive, the response rate was actually more on the order of uh, 50% or higher. So uh, obviously this is a a limited size phase two trial, so there are the usual caveats. And uh, this uh, does not tell us how the drug would stack up against monotherapy with either lapatinib or trastuzumab. But those numbers are certainly uh, exciting, and they suggest that this is a very potent drug in both uh, trastuzumab naive and trastuzumab resistant breast cancer. And certainly we expect there will be more studies forthcoming with this agent. Dr. Burstein's interested in seeing how HKI-272 compares with another drug in its class, lapatinib. Lapatinib is an FDA-approved dual tyrosine kinase inhibitor. The data are provocative enough that it's worth exploring, uh, you know, how this drug might stack up against uh, lapatinib. Uh, for a variety of reasons, it would be very appealing to have an orally available uh, product uh, that would really target her to in a very effective way. And so, uh, so far, the results are encouraging and clearly warrant for further development of the drug. Investigators also talked about bone loss associated with aromatase inhibitors. An investigational bone loss treatment called denosumab appears to prevent bone loss in patients taking these drugs. Dr. Georgiana Ellis from the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance presented data from some of the research she and her colleagues have done in this area. Aromatase inhibitors have a complication, which is accelerated bone loss in postmenopausal women who receive them. Um, And a variety of strategies have been under investigation to uh, try and mitigate that bone loss. Dr. Ellis and her team evaluated 252 women on aromatase inhibitor therapy who were randomized to receive either denosumab or placebo every six months for four doses. They all also took calcium and vitamin D. The investigators measured bone mineral density at a variety of sites over the two-year study. 
what we saw was a dramatic difference between what occurred with bone loss over time. The designated endpoint of the study was at the lumbar spine, where the women receiving denosumab had 5.5% increase in, in bone mineral density compared to what happened with the control group. At two years, that had increased to 7.6%. We saw it at all, all bony sites that were evaluated, which included the whole skeleton, the uh, hip, which is another fracture site for older women, and uniquely cortical bone in the distal third of the radius, which is not usually impacted by bisphosphonate therapy, which is the alternative. Denosumab isn't currently available to patients, but Dr. Ellis thinks the future is bright for this compound. There are a large number of other studies underway looking at it as well, all of which are appearing positive thus far. So we anticipate that it would be available in the future, and it would be an alternative to using bisphosphonates. Investigators also presented data on the use of sentinel node biopsies to guide treatment decisions. Information from sentinel node biopsies is often used to determine which patients with breast cancer need aggressive treatment and which can avoid it. A study called NSABP-B32 looked at the factors affecting the positive non-sentinel node rate and the necessity of axillary dissection following a positive sentinel node biopsy. Half of the women enrolled were assigned to sentinel node resection with immediate conventional axillary dissection. The other half had sentinel node resection without an axillary dissection if they did not have positive sentinel nodes. Patients from the two groups who had positive sentinel nodes and who received both sentinel node resection and axillary dissection were analyzed. The goal was to assess the need for dissection following sentinel node biopsy. Dr. Thomas Julian from the Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh led the study. Well, the, uh, the, the oral presentation, which is looking at the ability to uh, have a sentinel node and then predict whether or not there are additional non-sentinel nodes, seems to be um, a very uh, positive study in the sense that we were able to predict a number of factors uh, that contributed to identifying non sentinel nodes that were positive, and uh, those factors were the number of sentinel nodes, the number of positive sentinel nodes, uh, the uh, clinical size of the tumor, uh, and the uh, presence of uh, lymphovascular uh, invasion. Uh, those were all the really key uh, items that, that we identified. Dr. Julian says this research could have a considerable impact on clinical practice. It helps, uh, first of all, identify potentially a subgroup or a select subgroup of patients who may not require a completion axillary dissection, even with a positive sentinel node, and therefore could uh, decrease the morbidity uh, that's associated uh, or, uh, with, with a uh, axillary dissection, uh, and um, uh, then they can go on and uh, have their treatment uh, for that. Dr. Julian explained that a completion axillary dissection may be avoided in patients who had a small tumor or who had no lymphovascular invasion. Researchers also identified certain biomarkers that might be used to predict outcomes and drug responses in different patients. This could help clinicians tailor treatments to patients and avoid or minimize potential adverse effects. Dr. Julie Graylau from the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle led a study that assessed the protein tau as a potential biomarker. Tau is a microtubule-associated protein. Its potential as a biomarker stems from the fact that drugs that poison the mitotic spindle, which is made up of microtubules, are active agents against breast cancer. So, elevated tumor expression of microtubule-associated proteins like tau may indicate that a patient will respond well to these types of drugs. 
Dr. Graylow and her team looked to see if tau could predict survival and response in 92 patients with HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer who were being treated with docetaxel and venerelbine, also known as taxotere, and navelbine. Higher tau was associated with significantly improved overall survival and progression-free survival, but it did not predict which patients would respond to the drug combination or which would be resistant. What we found was uh, somewhat contradictory to some previous reports, that although previous reports have suggested that at least with respect to Taxol, which is an antitubulin agent, high levels of tau predicted resistance to uh, that drug. And when we used a combination of a relative of Taxol called Taxotere and another antitubulin agent called Navalbine, we didn't see that same resistance. But what we did see was for this combination of chemotherapy that a high level of tau expression, this microtubule-associated protein, we saw an excellent progression-free and disease-free survival, meaning that the tumor didn't grow for a long time and that death didn't occur for a long time. These are all uh, metastatic breast cancer patients where, in general, uh, we don't think that we can cure them in 2007 with our current drugs, but we certainly, in many cases, can prolong survival for years, and that's what we're looking at here. Dr. Graylow says the study's results are promising, but they obviously have to work out the discrepancies with previous studies. We need to see why our results with respect to the response were somewhat contradictory to prior studies. It might be because we were looking at slightly different chemotherapy agents. It might be that that combination of the two actually overcomes resistance. Um, It might be that uh, it's the stage of the disease. We were looking in the metastatic setting. Some of the earlier studies were looking in early stage setting. We also know that we have a new class of antitubulin agents called apothalones. Ixabepilone or Ixempra was just approved, and it is somewhat different than all these other drugs. I've already mentioned. So do tau and other microtubulin isoforms actually predict sensitivity or resistance to that drug? We also have a trial that recently closed to accrual with the same chemo agents, Taxotere and Navalbine, uh, in HER2-positive breast cancer with Herceptin. And we want to see if the same thing holds up in the HER2-positive patients. Maybe Herceptin actually adds to this, or you know, how is it implicated? We need to study that in our next trial. Dr. Graylow notes that studies like hers will be very important for customizing treatments for patients. Biomarkers are going to be the future of breast cancer treatment. We are gaining an increased understanding that breast cancer is all different, not all the same. And each cancer might have a set of different genes and proteins that is unique to itself that no other cancer expresses in quite the same way. If and when we get to the point, which we are in our infancy, but we're getting there, if we get to the point where we can truly identify the genes and proteins either turned off or turned on in a cancer that that allow that cancer cell to survive and spread and divide, we can take a different set of therapies and target those different genes and proteins, and we would have a cocktail of treatments that's unique to each patient and to each cancer. That's how we're going to get cures in the metastatic setting. That's how we're going to prevent recurrences and death due to breast cancer. Dr. Graylow's work also focuses on metastatic disease. Research has been slow in this area, but she says it's picking up. We are really seeing a a whole exciting array of new agents that are somewhat early in their development. They're not ready to use in clinic yet. Uh, Some of them will be quite successful, will undoubtedly get FDA approval. Some of them won't. They'll prove to be either too toxic or not as effective as they appeared to be early on. So I think we have a bunch of new classes of therapy for metastatic disease that are really right on the border of taking off, of being successful. So I'm, I'm very excited about the prospects for the future. Of course, I'm a clinician. 
patient. I see patients in clinic every week, and you know, I know that we need answers now. I, I have a patient sitting in front of me in clinic who's having progression. I need something new for that patient now. And that's what clinical trials are all about. And the only way we can get the new drugs available, uh, accessible to our patients, get them approved, show what the side effects are, what the efficacy is, is through clinical trials. This has been an overview of the 30th Annual San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. I'm Dr. Mark Kina, and for Sue Berg, we'd like to thank Veris Med senior oncology reporter Sean Tape, and we thank you for listening. To read more of Veris Med's conference coverage of the 30th Annual San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, please visit www.verismed.com. Veris Med, a connected health company, is an independent news organization and is not affiliated with the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, which is a division of the Cancer Therapy and Research Center. This activity is not sanctioned by the Cancer Therapy and Research Center and does not constitute an official part of the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. Some of the material discussed today may concern uses that have not been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Discussion of off-label drug use is intended solely for scientific exchange and is not intended to be promotional. Verismed strives to present all information objectively and independently.